0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Shred's Takes. I'm your host, Michael Shredder, and I am really glad to be joined by one of the co-owners of Wave Band. It's a local pop band in northern New Jersey that's been taking off and performing a lot of shows during quarantine in the northern New Jersey area, especially Ridgewood, New Jersey. So I'm here with Max Hofster, one of those co-owners. He's one of my best friends. He goes to Duke, going to be a rising junior. Max, welcome, dude. I'm really glad to have you on. So great to be here, Mike. So I guess we get started right into it. For people who don't know much about you, what got you into music and especially like your platform with Wave especially? So if you just want to go into that a little bit. I mean, I was
1: always a very horrific, horrific singer. So I started off playing the piano and guitar and... I did classical piano for many, many years, but there was just something, I was I was always a big Chili Peppers fan, and also I still love classical music, but I always wanted to bridge over into something a little bit more contemporary, so I mean, I, I you know, did it as like, like you know when you take piano lessons growing up it's not like something you do you're not like oh I'm gonna become a concert pianist or I'm gonna become a rock star it's kind of just like oh I'm taking piano lessons or I'm playing the recorder in fourth grade and it's kind of like a background thing but I broke my back freshman year of high school and I you know I went to high school to play lacrosse so I couldn't play lacrosse for a period of time so I started just picking up the piano again, taking it a little bit more seriously. And I kind of followed through with that for the next four years. And then senior year of high school, kind of the spring of senior year, I started taking it to another level. And then every year I kind of step it up a little bit in intensity. And now we're playing, I mean yesterday, today's gonna to be our fourth day playing in a row. We had two shows yesterday. We were playing until three in the morning. And it's not unusual for us to play for five hours, take a break, play another five hours and do that multiple days in a row.
0: What got you involved with, because I know JP and Sarah Nicky is a good singer. Um, I mean, obviously, for people who have listened to you on Spotify, uh, we know that you're big behind the production stuff and, you know, all the musician and instrumental stuff. But talk a little bit about JP, how you guys met and what it means for you to have someone like that challenging and working with you each day.
1: there's no one in the world like JP. I can tell you that right now. We didn't even really link up until after we graduated. It was the summer going into college and I was performing on the street uh, with another kid from high school. And JP joined us for one or two times, just playing on the street. And then we kind of just clicked because he's so just, Oh yeah. He's got a mind for melodies and pitch and it's, in his voice, is I mean, you could give him any singer. Like, you take a you take a uh, someone like, uh, even like a Chris Cornell, the uh, Christina Aguilera, Whitney Houston, all these people. You, you give him even a female singer, and you're like, you know, she can hit this note, or he hit this high G or something. He's like, that note, and he'll just go above it, and you're like, there's no words. There's just no words for what the kid can do. And at the beginning, he always, you know, would either just play it along with himself on the guitar and cause he'd change the song. You'd give him a song that most people would be freaked out to even attempt to play, like and try to get it to sound like the person. He'd be rewriting it as he'd playing it. And he'd be okay playing the guitar to it because he knew where it was going. But when we started playing together I kind of would play the guitar based on how he was singing it that second so like, you know I didn't know how the song was going to go it could be a song I've heard my entire life and he starts singing it and I'm playing the guitar and I'm just trying to figure out what he's doing with it. and that's always a chance it's the most fun thing ever
0: yeah I mean the one thing I've, I've admired obviously about you guys and is that the fact that you guys are only 2021 20, right so there aren't a lot of people I guess like in college today you know doing this kind of stuff and I, I think the last question within this just for people to get an understanding is where do you want to see this take off within the next year um, obviously I've heard from people and personally I know you're a very ambitious person but um you know what are your some like your short-term goals because like i know your laundry goals but, like what do you want to accomplish within this time during the pandemic and at least like you know bring knowledge to your platform because you know obviously it's hard to perform in big shows because of social distancing rules but what are you trying to do from this
1: you there i mean definitely some connections with- Let me are you move. back yeah can you hear me
0: yeah i can hear you fine yeah just just, just, just go again i mean it's fine but technical difficulty sometimes happens so uh just go again what you uh what your short term goals are for your uh platform
1: so definitely just getting a lot of music out i mean we write probably a couple songs a day ish but i mean we'll, we'll both wake up have you know stuff we were working on in the morning and then we'll meet throughout the day and by the end of the day we might have a couple demos done and we're doing that every single day and we're just trying to get covers out trying to get originals out we're working with all people and just so many just very talented people that we're trying to collaborate with and work with and it's right now it's just a we have a show in three hours. We got to get there and deal with that. And then, Oh, someone wants us to play right after let's get there. Which it's just, uh, I mean, I can plan out a week and nothing that I planned out is probably going to even happen because things, things are just going to change like that. You know, we're, we're working on a song for three months and then we're about to put it out there. And then one of us comes up the song at the end and that's the new song. And then we're like, what do we do with this? And we're like, let's go on the new one. And then it's like, we got so many things to juggle, so I, I can't even. Whatever I think's gonna happen in even the next couple of weeks, it's probably gonna be wrong.
0: So, just shifting topics. So, obviously, I know you're a big Duke basketball fan. Uh, I know you're a big Zion fan. I if am. You, you, I am. <laughs> yeah, you you have a uh, picture on your Instagram, as I know, is a picture with Zion, which is really cool. So, what I was thinking is basically, you know, you you were taking talking about how you didn't think that you had some in your opinions about that, that Duke basketball team with Zion. And I would ask you if you think they underachieved. Um, and do you think that Zion's potential wasn't mac- maximized that year as a freshman? So you take that away and I'll chime in uh, when you're done.
1: I mean, I can only speak for what I saw. Cause I went through a lot of games and what you know, I, I heard around. However, I'm, e- you we're also talking about someone. I think he was what seventeen when he started at Duke. Was seven, 17, I think he turned eighteen during the. I I, I think he he was pretty young, and we're talking about like a, a seventeen-year-old kid who's just got out of high school, and you know's been you know in the news throughout high school for basketball, but now is. I mean, really, like the headliner of ESPN, you, you couldn't turn on ESPN during the entire year without hearing Zion's name for 10 minutes. Like it, every three or four minutes, you just, oh yeah, and then you see about Zion, Zion, Zion? It was all over the place. I mean, it's a lot. It's a 17 year old kid going from a couple, a couple viral videos on Instagram and like, it was astronomical so definitely a lot of talent definitely a lot of potential but it's also a lot of pressure and we're not talking about someone who's played professionally for 15 years we're talking about someone who's this is their first time being on this big stage and there's a lot of pressure to do something and put on a win a championship and perform but then there's also, you know, a hierarchy. There's also people who have been on the team who are going to seniors, and they might have some say, too, in how the game is going to go and who's going to be taking the shots. So I, I don't really know how much you can put on him for how the season went or how much you can say he held back or – overperform or overdid because I mean, he, I mean, he was getting injured to the point where I mean, he was diving for balls. I mean, he, he could have been breaking his arms. Like he, he was really. He wasn't like one of those really talented players. It's like I'm not diving for the ball. No, no, no. Zion's diving for the ball. This isn't someone who's jogging and you know sometimes the teammates would be jogging a little bit, but he was going hard.
0: And he wanted to win. So I, I'm i actually going to say that I think they did underachieve. Not him necessarily. I think he actually did. There's so much you can do in one year as a, as a freshman, right? Even for how talented you are, there's so much a coach can do for you in one year. And just some statistics to show you, I think, how they underachieved. So they shot 30.8% from three and 62.5% from the line or sorry, 68.6% for the free pro line. Still, those are not good numbers. And what happened should, a lot, that,
1: yeah. that should be 0% for three points. 0% for three points. They should not shoot... I'm sorry to interrupt. They should not be shooting... They're not a three-point team. They should never shoot a three-point shot, ever. They're not a three-point team. Do not shoot a three-point shot. They should not be shooting a three-point shot. I would, have to, a, I
0: would have to unfortunately disagree problem. with that. Because, because the thing is, I understand what you're, where you're coming from because they were so dominant in the paint. But the problem is when they came, went against a team that was built to, built to pack the paint, Zion would be affected because Zion could go down the post and score. But R.J. Barrett only had a left hand that he could drive the basket with. So the problem is, and Cam Reddish was just an unreliable third option. I mean, you can just look at the numbers for Cam Reddish. They were pretty unreliable. points, 35.3% from the floor, 33.3% from three. And then in ACC play, he was shooting 34.6% and 34% with the games that Zion wasn't there when he was averaging more shots. And especially when they played at Carolina, too, he shot nine for 28 from the floor. And if you're a second option, you can't shoot like that. If you're 12 for 28, I can at least live with that, right? Because I love the aggressiveness from him but he was just unreliable. And with Cam Reddish too, the reason I'm hard on him is because I've seen him play in high school and he was, in my opinion, the most talented and most skilled player at that level. He's 6'8", he can dribble, he can shoot, he can get to the basket, he has a really good handle. And Zion and RJ didn't really have those, but they just had more of a willingness to win but the problem really came down for them was was shooting, and also they ranked 317th in the nation in turnovers, in total turnovers. That's horrible. And that's really what killed them because Zion averaged more than two turnovers a game. R.J. Barrett did too, and I think also Trey Jones and as well as Cam Reddish also were turnover issues that year. Trey Jones did a lot better job this year, but there's so much you can really do. They relied too much on their talent. And that's not on Zion because I think Zion did what he had to do. He shot 68% from the floor his freshman year, and he shot like an average percentage from three. But the break problem for them, is it always has been with the, with the due team that year, the reason they didn't go farther was they they only relied so much on talent, and number two, they only re, they they couldn't shoot three pointers or free throws well. So when they played against a really talented team, that well not to say like talented, but really well coached team, they weren't able to break out of that shell, and do I think this current Duke team this year is a more talented team than that team? Absolutely not. Because you could give the ball to Zion, and he could give you 25 and 10 a night. But the problem with him was always going to be, I mean, you see in the NBA, what they do now is they put him in a position to succeed. And at Duke, they did that. At Duke, they basically say, wherever he gets the ball, just go one-on-one. And he was really effective, he's, but he's averaging more points in the NBA this year. You know, he's averaging 24 points a game this year in the NBA. He averaged 23 in college. So, granted, it's only 19 games for him. But I think also the fact is it just really came down to how the teams were easily able to do a defensive strategy against them. And also the, the last thing I'm going to point up too, is they rely on their talent too much in the sense that they always had to – they had like three or four games last in that year. North Carolina, Florida State, Louisville, Michigan State's, that they had to come back from huge deficits in order to come to win a game or to try and win a game. Florida State they were down 15. Louisville they were down 25. UNC they were down 10 to 15, and then Michigan State they were down 10 to 12 around that range, right? And like that's that's not a good way to. That's not necessarily on Cheshevsky necessarily, because I don't think he again with Zion. You, it's hard to coach a guy like that in one year because. There's so much you could do. But he really should have, in my opinion, gotten the other depth guys better. And I'm going to segue into another question because, like, that's really what I see with them. That the issue really what it came down to for Duke that year was not their talent, was not that they didn't have a good year, but they just couldn't shoot. This Duke team this year is a much better shooting team. Well, this past Duke was a much better shooting team. They have much better depth. Um, They didn't have necessarily a great number one option. Like, Bernie Carey is great, but he's not Zion or RJ. But he did do a lot. They did have a lot of guys who contributed, like, versus that year where they really only had three guys and then Trey Jones averaging about eight points a game. There's so much you only can do from that, right? And that's really where I – I don't know if you saw that too, but I think that team – I don't think Zion underachieved, but I definitely think that Duke team underachieved because the fact that I don't think their team was constructed correctly.
1: I mean, absolutely great points. Nothing you said there was shocking, and it's very well supported. So bravo on that. Very, very well done. I mean, I think, as you know, because I've seen you shooting every single day, shooting is one of those things where you can improve on it. And some of these guys that you saw really clicking this year a lot of that came I assume from lots of hard work practicing and when you have a really really young team I mean that's essentially the problem with all the one and done teams Uh, if these kids are coming in there at 18 already shooting at a phenomenal level then you're going to have a great you know team shooting wise but if these kids are just absolute stars really talented but haven't put in the five hours a day shooting for a couple years you're not going to be shooting at a 50 60 percent from the three-point line that's just not going to happen
0: yeah and that's I think a good segue over to the next question is I I mean I'll I'll start on and then you can jump in so it's about the current Duke team and where I think I I, again, they're not a better team. I don't think the Maple go as far in terms of their talent, but what they definitely did was build a better team around their best player. So, Vernon Carey is the best player, and I think anyone debate, you know, they can debate that, but he's averaging 17.8 points a game of the year and about 10 rebounds. You know, he's he shoots 38% from the three-point line. He shoots 50% from, you know, the field. He's not a great free-throw shooter, but they as a team, they shoot 72% from the free-throw line this year. Like I said before, they were 68.6 when Zion and those guys were there. And that's a huge difference because if you're shooting 35% from three versus 30.8, and then you're shooting – 72% from the free throw line, and you are only 164th in turnovers, total turnovers compared to 317th the year before. And the big thing too is they have five guys who shoot 36% or better from three. Cassius Stanley shoots 36%. Trey Jones this year shoots 36%. And as we well know, freshman year, Trey Jones couldn't hit the side of a barn if he could shoot, right? And it's not his, I mean, again, because you know he was really good at getting downhill. And making, and he's a good mid range. He was a good mid range shooter in high school, but then in, in college he just got better. That's why I think he'll be an NBA prospect by the end of his junior year because of the fact that he was a, he's able to shoot now, right? That's, that was his Achilles heel when they played Virginia Tech. I mean, you remember that game, they, and you, even UCF they just laid off him and dared him to shoot because they said we can't stop Zion, we can't stop RJ. But this year, the reason why I think this Duke team is sometimes harder to guard is because you have Vernon Carey inside who can just give you 17 to 20 points a night. Then you have Matthew Hurt, who can shoot threes. He's 6'9". He can really shoot out there. Cassius Stanley's an athletic guard who can shoot and get to the basket a little bit, even though I think he's a little bit overrated. He's, he's, a, he's a decent player. And then you've got Trey Jones, who does everything for that team, right? Trey Jones can shoot. He can get to the basket. He's a great defender. And he averages 16 points a game this year, right? And then you've also got Joey Baker off the bench, whose stats aren't like unbelievable, but he shoots 40, almost 41% from three. So, and he's also 6'9", too. So then you bring they have length, they have size, they have guys that can shoot. So I guess that's my opinion on that. And I'll I'll ask you this, this quick question. Do you think, did you enjoy watching this Duke team this year? Do you think they would go, would have went farther in the NCAA tournament than that past year's Duke team? And that's my two questions. So speak how you want
1: they were very very enjoyable to watch because you you didn't necessarily know what was going to happen because there were games where they played horrendously and it seems sometimes duke plays where they let the other team sometimes even lead until into the second half and then they really start trying again with like five minutes left. They'll keep it. And then they'll, you know, get a 15 or they'll try for that 15 point run right at the end. It's sort of, why are you waiting? What Why are you, I mean, I understand you don't want to burn out before halftime, but I mean, you're athletes. So let's, 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 these are things that we can work on. We can work on, Conditioning we can work on stamina It's not you use some of these soccer players. They're sprinting back and forth for Two hours, I mean, I understand they're not seven feet tall, but It's doable. It's it's something that it's something that can be worked on so I, I definitely think they were def- definitely enjoyable to watch however, I think that they had a lot of potential that I was really excited to see in the tournament, which now we're not going to ever have a chance to see. I really think, or I I definitely thought that they could go far in that tournament. I know a lot of people just looking at their record, because when looking at, or even watching a game or two on TV, but when you're there, in Cameron and I, I was very close to the court for a lot of games and to see a lot of the chemistry between the players and a lot of things that they could do. Again, I can't, I haven't been to some of these other teams. I didn't have that same exposure to them. However, I knew that this team could have done some incredible things in the tournament that, Unfortunately, well, we all know what happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, also, for me, the the, the competition this year also was not nearly as good either around college basketball. There wasn't really a clear-cut best team out there. Because people might say Gonzaga was the best team, but they had some losses within their league that, you know, scratched some heads. You say might say Kansas is, but Kansas wasn't consistently healthy all the time. Azebuki wasn't always in the lineup. Also, Azebubi is a big liability at the free throw line, even though he's completely dominant in the paints. There is also that, too. And also, you know, teams like Virginia. Virginia wasn't the same team they were. You got also Michigan, who was falling apart. Like, And the thing is, too, is what people don't realize is Sheshevsky did a much better job this year in terms of understanding how the depth had to be a bigger uh, role. Because again, you have five guys now this year who were shooting above 36% from three. So he knew last year that his top five players who play, or at least he has to have five guys that are gonna shoot that percentage. Now, outside of those five guys though, the rest of the team shoots 27% or lower. Jack White's not has really faded off you know, as a three point shooter. Alex O'Connell had a really tough time at Duke, and there's a reason why he's transferring there. But he shot 27% as well. So when I was looking at, I think, what Duke can do better in the future in terms of the recruiting classes, is still try to get those top-notch guys, absolutely. But make sure they know how to shoot. Make sure that they're, they're out, even if they're a big guy. Because the way the game is, and I'm not necessarily saying it's a, a big you know, asset or a good advantage of the games like this. But you need to have at least four guys on the court that can shoot. And I think that your big guys also can't just rely on being three-point shooters. The one thing I liked about Vernon Carey and the one thing I liked about Zion is that they had skill in the post, which I think is a lost art today. If you think about it, the post game is still, I think, a very effective way and efficient way to score. Now, the numbers might not say that in the NBA, but that's also because the post players aren't that good. You look at the Lakers, for example. Their efficiency in the post is phenomenal because they have LeBron and they have Anthony Davis, who are both really good in the post. So if you can bring in guys who know how to post up, and again, yeah, Bernie carries an efficient post player. When he gets to his left hand, he's pretty unguardable because he's 6'11, he's 270, he's really mobile. And that's kind of the way I look at it. And also, I catch, I see how Cassius Stanley's thinking about declaring for the NBA draft. I think that's a mistake. I think, honestly, he's not as good as people think he is. Not because I think he isn't a good player. I just think that he's not strong enough yet. He's athletic, but he relies a little too much on his athleticism. I don't think he's as good as shooter as people think, too. I mean, 36% is good, but it's not great. And the fact that a guy like Vernon Carey is shooting a better percentage than you, you should go and want to work on that, right? Trey Jones is, is building up his draft stock because I think he'll, next year he'll even shoot 37% from three or 38 because he knows what his weakness is. For, you know, for Cassius Stanley, in my opinion, it's going left. He's a, really just a ready driver and shooting threes, right? He's a, he's a good three-point shooter, but he could be better. And also his strength. He could get stronger. Matthew Hurt, for example. Matthew Hurt, I think also will, he's going to say in our year, his big thing is getting stronger because he got pushed around a little too much this year. And that's what happens sometimes when you're a freshman too. What people don't realize they see guys like Zion who are just built like a once in a lifetime athlete. And they're saying, well, all freshmen should be like this. All freshmen should weight train like this, but it also depends where you go to school. So a lot of guys don't have access to IMG Academy or Oak Hill Academy in high school. Some guys are going to like regular public high schools that don't have great strength training programs or great trainers around them. So, in my opinion, with Duke looking closer to the future, you have to be saying, like, you know, this might excite you too. You have to be willing to fix your bench a little bit because they're they're getting the star players and they're improving there. But if you have guys shooting twenty seven percent or worse, and then you also have guys like DeLaurier who are only like come off the bench and average three points a game, and besides Joey Baker, you, all the rest of your guys are averaging less than four points a game. That's not going to help you because the one thing at least at Amherst college that that helped our bench this year is that we had guys off the bench who were averaging more than five points a game. And that really helped us because we had guys who you knew could go in there and get you five to eight points or 10 points whenever you needed it. Right. And with Duke, besides Joey Baker, you or that's really the only one I look at and say, okay, he's the only guy I look at and say that he could do that. But again, I put him in that five echelon kind of thing, but that's, that's just kind of how it is with Duke, right? And uh, I think the last thing I want to bring up for you this is something I think that you would definitely enjoy is what do you think the role of music in sports is for society in general? And why do you think people like intertwining both of them together? So this is all you. So go ahead and just uh, speak on this. I mean, music's
1: a form of expression. And it's an art form. It's something where you can take nothing but feeling and intangible, I guess, essence and make it into a, something physical, something that can be appreciated by other people, something that can connect with other people. And Sports are very, very high intensity. There's a lot of really hard work going on. There's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of adrenaline. And an art form is something that can take these emotions and use them very efficiently. Like if you're trying to get pumped up for a game, you're going to want to get those adrenaline levels higher and listen to some rock and roll or something. But I mean, the reason I think it's music and not painting or stamp collecting or that's not not really, that's more of a hobby, but still, because what are you going to do? Like start shooting free throws, getting ready for the game. Then somebody rolls out a Monet and you're like, Whoa, wow. He really captured that in the painting right there well, I'm really pumped up for this game. Let's go boys. That's, that's not going on. That's not, you can't really be focusing on shooting your baskets. And then somebody's like, you know, Oh, look at this. You know, I I knit this really beautiful scarf thing. And while that's a beautiful art form, it's not going to really get that intensity level up for the game. It's going to be like, all right, let's get back to this, but music, you can, be blasting it in your headphones. where you get really synced. It's one of those things where you can get into a flow. It's a creative flow. The same thing when you're really start clicking, playing basketball or any sport, you get into that flow of music. That's why people listen to music when they're studying and some people it distracts them. But other people, when they get into that flow, and you re- you get lost and you just let your instincts take over. I mean, that's why I think it's music as opposed to nothing or painting or another art form.
0: Yeah. I'll just add a quick thing on that too. It's just like music and sports is bringing people together generally too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So like, I think that's just an important thing, but I want to wrap it up here. But the one thing I'm going to say uh, for the viewers out there is please give my man a listen on Spotify and also give him a follow. He's got nine thousand followers on Instagram. Let's get that to ten thousand. And declining,
1: and, declining, yeah. so he's declining. But, but W four VE on everything. W four like the taxes. Just yeah. more fun.
0: Yeah. So he they are they're performing in the tri state area. I definitely encourage you guys to get them listed on Spotify. Uh, and again, Max, I, I'm really happy that you got to join us on this. And thank you for having you on. on again, dude. It was really fun talking some sports and some music with you. And I hope to see you soon.
1: You too. Peace out.